Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 147. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Liam Leonard Solis. Hey, everyone. And it's great to have you here, because as a philosophy major, I really wanted to discuss an idea that I've been thinking about lately and get your insights, opinions, and perspectives on this idea. And I'm very happy to be here, Kip. Like, I I love your show, and I think what you do is really cool and really important. So I'm honored that you asked me to lend my voice. Of course, it's great to have you. So the idea that I've been thinking about a lot recently concerns where we find our sources of inspiration and not necessarily from whom or how, but truly the locations in which we feel more inspired or more connected to certain ideas, whether they are grandiose on a cosmic scale or more nuanced in ways that we had not previously considered. And I was reflecting to myself that I've often noticed many of my ideas come to me late at night in bed or in the shower, regardless of the time of day. And I get the impression that other people have had similar, if not identical, experiences. And so this rough thesis that I've been working with in my mind is that these spaces are particularly ideologically powerful because we are at our most vulnerable in those moments. And I remember a year ago when you and I were graduating, being hit by countless thoughts and emotions, again, because I think we as a graduating class in college were at a state of very high vulnerability which is not an inherently bad thing, although I think our society often treats vulnerability as if it is a disease, a form of weakness. And I don't think those things are quite identical. But before I ramble any further, what do you think about this idea of the bed and the shower as vulnerable places? And additionally, can you think of others in which you feel particularly connected or open to new or nuanced ideas? Yeah, I think you really bring up a great point and a really interesting connection between creativity and vulnerability. Because as you said, these are two places, you know, the bed and the shower are two places where in one you're naked at your most basic, I think. Like you're totally just shedding your clothes that you wear to impress or to look a certain way or to act a certain character. You know, you go to work, you wear a uniform, whatnot. And when you're in bed, you know, you're wearing whatever's comfortable. You're wearing something that you feel like yourself. And these are both places that, at least in my experience, I feel most like myself, just because they're private spaces where you can be yourself and be with yourself and be free in a way. Because I think a lot of times when you go out in society or in civilization, whatever you want to call it, you may feel a certain pressure to act a certain way. And in that sense, that puts a strain on your creative power, because when you're not able to be who you are, you're not as free to explore those ideas. And it's key that you talk about being yourself, because I do think in our most private moments when we don't have to worry about social factors or cultural factors and can truly be what we are, although I acknowledge that some factors are so deeply rooted that maybe we can't disinter them when we are alone, I feel similarly that we are very fundamental or essential in our natures when we are either in bed or in a shower which are, of course, two examples. There are plenty of spaces where many other people might feel vulnerable. And to our listeners, I'd love to know where you feel not only vulnerable, but connected in a positive and simultaneous way. And another aspect of this that's coming to me now is that in bed and in a shower, you are not only being, but in a simultaneously productive and yet passive way. When you're in a shower, you can just stand and allow water to wash over you and cleanse you, and you don't have to do very much for that to take place, so your mind, your body can focus on other activities, which is not to say you shouldn't scrub yourself in a shower, but relatively speaking, I think it's a low-maintenance task. 
and in bed when trying to fall asleep, and of course there are examples of insomnia or a racing mind that won't let you sleep, for most of us, if you have cleared your mind, falling asleep essentially entails that you do nothing. And I'd be very curious to know if you think not only the nature of these spaces allows us to connect to certain feelings of authenticity and intellectual stimulation, but also what you think about the relatively passive activities that these spaces allow for us. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you bring up there. I never really considered either to be passive. I just kind of accepted them for what they were. But now that you mention it, they're both passive in that they're stages of a kind of transformation in your day. When you're going to sleep, you're becoming something else. You're going into a dream world or recharging. And when you're taking a shower, it's also cleansing your body. And it's kind of a transformational moment there. So in one sense, one is a cleansing or a resting of the body. You know, you've relaxed in a shower and you let the water take care of it. And when you're going to sleep, you're relaxed, but it's more of a cleansing of the mind. You're letting your mind do the work for you. I see what you're saying when you say it's passive, but that was what my point was, was it's a transformation. It's a passive transformation, but in that sense, it feels like there's something active going on. And maybe it's something active that's not really in your control, which in a sense gives you the freedom to explore things or have certain ideas. In terms of spaces like beds or showers that I feel inspiration or a kind of refuge in, I feel like it's present when you're outside. Not necessarily like walking around town, but when you're going for a walk in the woods or walking by a river or something. It's like when you revert back to a primal state, like sleeping or cleansing or walking in the woods as we are, because we're animals, like we, we came from the woods at some point. Those are the spaces that give rise to kind of an uninhibited mindset where you don't feel afraid to be wrong. And when you lose that fear of being wrong, that's when those ideas come to you. Like it could be ingenious ideas come to you in a dream or how to figure out what to do about someone's birthday. When you're taking a shower, you're like, what am I going to get my mom for her birthday? You know, like things like that. To me, what's really fascinating there is your phrasing that you're not worried about being wrong. And I agree, taking a walk in the woods or any other similar spaces, I would say when you are alone are especially intriguing for the ideological and in certain cases emotional vulnerability that they permit. And I would say to a certain extent, encourage. And I think these spaces are also key, although there are exceptions. Because you need not be around other people. You need not be talking to other people. In bed, for example, although more than one people can occupy that space, you can be alone. And I've often reflected that society, as great as it is for the mutual protection and survival and interaction that it allows, as you and I are currently experiencing, society also permits doubt to creep in. I wonder if one was all alone and truly knew how to physically survive and sustain themselves, if that individual would doubt themselves. Because I do think it comes from watching other people fail or, in conversation and dialogue, hearing other people express their doubts of us. And to be clear, I do think there are inherent doubts that the individual has about their place in the universe. But I think other people can exacerbate that because we all feel that anxiety, that existential dread and doubt. And I think it builds and often obscures other ideas. So during your day job or wherever you're spending your daylight hours, it makes sense that you might not have these feelings of ideological vulnerability and connection because you're around so many other racing thoughts. And our technology nowadays also crowds out time for being alone, not just physically, but mentally. And I think that that's what I really love about these spaces. 
And I'm so glad that you mentioned natural settings because I completely agree. They do allow for a very similar vulnerability. But what are your feelings about that societal critique? I definitely think you make a really salient point regarding the nature of doubt when you're by yourself and when you're with other people and how if we didn't have other people around, we would have no need to doubt our reality. And with the introduction of other ideas and other points of view, other prejudices, we begin to have doubts about ourselves. And so in that sense, I feel like when you're in society too, there's a certain vulnerability if you're bringing your own ideas into the discourse. But there's a tendency when you're in work or in school or in the marketplace or whatnot to just think the way that everyone else is thinking or act the same way. You're not as free to be crazy or like, you know, even in the shower, you know, you sing in the shower, you talk to yourself in the shower, you act things out. I don't know, whatever you do in the shower, you don't necessarily do when you're walking around Main Street. Absolutely. We definitely wear a mask when we're around other people. And in the interest of looking at both sides, I do think there are advantages when we all think like one another. I'm not saying all the time, but in certain instances, for example, in a crowded street, people will generally reach an unspoken understanding of how to navigate and where lanes of travel are developing and how certain cycles or routes are opening up. And so people, if they are paying attention, will run into each other less frequently. And generally speaking, we will all get where we are going much more efficiently. Similarly, in a public performance, we all know that it's most polite not to speak or make noise while someone is on stage or speaking to us. And I do think in those circumstances, our crowd mentality works and I don't have any huge issues with it. But in contrast to the bed, the shower, or other vistas that you have mentioned, if a certain idea or sensation does strike you in those instances that opposes the current narrative and the current discourse or atmosphere that has been embraced by the group or the crowd, I believe that's where we see discomfort arise and take root. And all of us, if I'm not mistaken, at various points in our day or our lives will disagree with what's being done or how it's being done or simply would like to add our own comments. And so in painting these two often diametrically opposed spaces, do you think there is any crossover, any moments in the public where there are more forums for open discourse or even in these vulnerable places where we don't allow our thoughts to be as free as they could be when we are alone. I definitely see a similarity between the two spaces, and I think what links them is the self, the person. The heart of this discomfort that we may feel when our ideas may come in conflict with the ideas of the general population, be it societal or in your house, comes from inherent desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself. We all have a desire to belong, and we all have a desire to be accepted as human beings and by other human beings. And it comes from a kind of need for a validation that I exist, I am important, and so are you. And so I think there is crossover in that sometimes when you're in a space with a lot of people, you can reach this almost collective acceptance of something valuable. Like in, for instance, playing music with people, um, it's not necessarily a solitary activity, but there is a kind of power in that, that I feel isn't vulnerable. I feel it's affirming and strengthening. And I think when you give yourself in a way, so to speak, to a crowd or to any kind of idea or group of people coming together for a common idea, like I mentioned, playing music or even going to the theater, you know, or going to see a show, just being in a space with other people, when you give yourself to that, in a sense, you're freeing yourself from any kind of stress you've had while you were in the shower or while you were trying to go to sleep. All the problems that your mind does think about 
sometimes you can't help it. Right when you're going to sleep, you're thinking about all the problems that day, all the woes, the worries, whatnot. And when you wake up and go sing with your friends or whatnot, or act with your friends, or just hang out, it's a kind of refuge. And I think regarding the bed and the shower as, you've argued, safe spaces, to be seen in a context where they may not feel safe or feel like a kind of refuge from the big, scary outside world. And I think it depends on who you are and where you are. For a lot of people in, for example, Syria, people who go to bed at night not knowing whether or not they're going to be alive tomorrow or whether or not their house isn't going to be hit by mortars. Depending on where you are mentally and physically in your life, these places that we often accept as comfortable or safe are often seen as scary or places where you're allowed to totally be free to your own thoughts. Jean-Paul Sartre, a French philosopher, often said that man was condemned to be free and that when we're faced with the kind of freedom to be ourselves or to think our own thoughts, we're faced with this kind of despair or anguish. And so I think spaces like the bed or like the shower or even like the woods, you're free to explore every kind of idea imaginable without fear of criticism that can also make you scared. Definitely. There are multiple sides to this. And I'm glad you bring up examples like Syria, because for some of us, these spaces are no longer safe or temporarily change their psychological relationship to us, which is very tricky and challenging. And I'd be very curious to know from listeners if you have certain vulnerable spaces or any location whatsoever in which you feel as mentally free as Liam and I are trying to describe. And I also feel in discussing this that every living person has a right to spaces like this or a space of their own, whether it is a bed, a shower, maybe even a certain stretch of highway where they feel most at peace and free, as you have said, because doubt, along with various other mental afflictions that we haven't described in specificity, are tragically effective in causing us to discard our own ideas. And I've often felt that genius comes from people who really trust in their own ideas. And certainly some ideas are more productive than others. But I do think that the wear and tear of life, especially a daily job or a routine with which we can eventually grow tired or weary, causes us to close off and prevent ourselves from feeling and thinking these nuanced thoughts. So as a final question to you, if not the bed or the shower or the woods, do you think it's possible for an individual to make a space like that in certain areas of their lives or in certain geographic spaces? And if you do believe that, how would you encourage listeners to go about making those spaces? What you've said reminds me of this idea in Zen Buddhism that something along the lines of your inner peace is the most important thing in the world in the sense that it puts you in charge of cultivating your own inner sense of well-being, and in doing so, that will influence the way you treat others around you and the way you interact in the world. When you are in a space that allows you to explore your inner peace, where you can be free to think about what you want or feel what you want, only then can you go back out into the world and be a good kind of person or be the person you want to be. So I think it is possible to create those spaces for yourself. It may be a real place, you know, it may be a place you go to in your town and maybe a place you go to in your mind, but it isn't easy. You know, it's like you're creating a kind of a sanctuary or a refuge that's both physical and spiritual. It requires a kind of self-reflection where you have to look around you and see where you are and what conditions you're in, if you're in school or if you're at home or whatnot. In a sense, the conditions that you're faced with are sometimes out of your control, a lot of times, but you should ask yourself, 
where do I feel the happiest? Or where do I feel the most me? If you ask yourself that, you can come to an answer. I think that everyone knows that to a certain degree. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion? I think a good start in trying to figure out how you yourself can find these spaces. If it's not a bed for you or a shower or nature, just ask yourself what makes me happy or in what space do I feel the most complete? Where do I feel the most bliss? You might not come to an answer right away. I'd love to know what everyone thinks about the possibility of creating these spaces that you can feel most yourself. And if it's even possible in today's world to really be alone in that sense, where you can totally be free to your own thoughts, which even brings in questions of how connected we are in this world. Does that connection also kind of make us anxious or give us ideas when we need to be in our own heads, be it going to sleep or shampooing? Which are very good questions. I'd be very curious to know from listeners if perhaps you don't find certain spaces where you can feel most vulnerable, if there are people for you, not simply who make you feel comfortable, but who genuinely bring out the openness of your thoughts and any multitude or genre of thought that you might have. And for listeners who might be older or going through periods of rapid development, I'd love to know if you have noticed certain spaces becoming more mentally opening and freeing for you, and perhaps other spaces in turn have become less mentally freeing and safe for you. And finally, to our international audience, I would love to know if your respective cultures have influenced how you see mentally safe spaces, if you have different words or terms to describe what Liam and I have been discussing. We would love to hear from you. And Liam, I'd like to thank you for coming on and discussing this. I had a great time. And thank you, Kip. I had a lot of fun, too. It was good talking with you. It was good talking with you, too. But of course, as ever, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we would very much love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, input, comments of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.